0: Hi, you're listening to the Hope Church Sermon Podcast. At Hope, our mission is to help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Now, join us as we listen in on a sermon from last Sunday. It is our hope that you feel God's love stronger today than ever before. today to introduce our speaker to you today. It's a guy that a lot of you guys know that's not a new face to you guys, but uh, Nelson's been at Hope Church for about four years now, and uh, Nelson's been a group leader, and only uh, has been a group leader, but he's also been helpful to us um, in multiple different areas of our church with discipleship and baptism, and uh, we're just super, super thankful for him today, and also he serves as one of our trustees and helps us stay accountable in our finances, and just so, so thankful for him today, And um, but I'm just so thankful for you, Nelson. And um, this message will be timely for our church. And uh, this man right here is um, what he's going to share with you today. Um, he has a strong, 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 strong conviction. I want to pray over Nelson before he preaches for us. Say, Lord, we're so thankful today for your word. We're so thankful for Nelson. Lord, I pray that you anoint him. I pray that you fill him up. Lord, I pray that you give him just the right words that we need to hear today. Lord, I pray that we leave here challenged, moved, and just filled by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we thank Nelson for speaking into us today? Thank you, man. Love
1: you. Amen. Uh, Amen. Amen. So grateful to be here. Well, welcome to week five, Hope Church. Week five of our battle series. You know, it's times like these that um, when you prepare for a message like this, I have weeks and weeks, and I've been editing it and editing it. I was editing it last night. Probably if we were preaching tomorrow, I'd probably be a different message. I'll tell you this. It's times like this when I appreciate our pastors. You know, Pastor Wes, preparing every week. Our pastors, Wes and Diana, imagine every week preparing messages, preparing, getting this room together and, and leading people and and preparing our, our our worship. And you know what? Every burden, every single burden we have is their burden. Every prayer we have... Is their prayer. When you celebrate, they celebrate. When, you, when you're in pain, they're in pain. And so I just want to remind you, this month is actually Pastor Appreciation Month. And yeah, yeah. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says to honor those to whom honor is due. And there's no question that we're so privileged to, to be under our pastors here in this church. So, uh, you know, this church is generous. Do what you do. Reach out to them this week. Send them texts, emails, cards. Uh, lots of you like to send them gifts and gift cards and all of that stuff. So, yeah, let's do that. Let's be generous and let's remind them how much we love them and how much we appreciate them, okay? Hand, hand, round of applause for them. <laughs> By the way, I want to remind you that next month is Puerto Rican Guest Speakers Appreciation Month. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Well, anyway, if you don't know me, my name is Nelson. You can refer to me as he, him, his, or Meng. Mang. yeah, M-A-N-G. That's how we referred to ourselves in Brooklyn in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, Ming, yo, Ming, come on, Ming. That was us. We were Ming. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so that makes me a baby boomer, right? Any boomers in the house? Any boomers? Yeah, like six of us. And that's because it's the early service. We all come to the early service because we think that's when they do hymnals, right? Hymns. Right? There's going to be none of us in the second service, right? I, I'm not sure I'll be here in the second service. Anyway, so how about any, uh, any Generation X in the audience? Yeah, represent. Millennials. Yeah, lots of millennials. Any Gen Zs? Younger? Anybody have no clue what I'm talking about? Okay, a couple of you. So anyway, yeah, I'm a boomer. You know the thing about boomers is we like to compare ourselves to you younger generations. You know, we think we did life better than you do life. Yeah, it's true, don't we? You know, we don't compare ourselves to the previous generation, right? You know who they were, right? The greatest generation. Can't compete with the greatest generation. They won the Super Bowl awards. Not too many of them around anyways, but we don't compare ourselves to them. We compare ourselves to you, and we think you're soft. We think you're soft, yeah. Yeah, we do. Boo-hoo, the teacher yelled at me. Man, in our day, they would hit you. They would beat you. Rulers, yardsticks, they They throw, throw races at you. Nelson, cut that out. Come on, man. Yeah, no kidding. Our playgrounds, our playgrounds were built on concrete. Yeah, when you fell in our day, you either bled or broke a bone. Today, they're built on sponges. Man, kids fall today, it's like jumping off a building in the matrix, man. Just fall into foam, you can't get hurt, you're soft. In our day, the slides, the slides were nickel-plated steel. Sun, yeah, sun burning down on them, cherry red. You'd be in shorts, right? When you went down the slide, you had to commit. You couldn't stop in the middle of the slide. You burned to dust. That was our version of firewalking. You know, you can't, you can't stop in the middle. You gotta commit. And once you commit, you know what happens when you get to the bottom? Concrete. Yeah, yeah. Did we have seatbelts? We had seatbelts. Don't say no. We had seatbelts. Come on. You know they were just like the seatbelts in the plane, exactly. Metal buckle, everything. But did we wear them? No, you know what we did? We tucked those things in the seam of the seat. We tucked those things. You look at the seat, it looked like your couch at home. In the 80s, we had to go pulling those things out. We had to go finding them. But in the 60s and 70s, man, they were tucked in. But you know what? We didn't sit in those seats anyway. We sat in the back in the station wagon, right? Come on, come on, Chris, you know. Yeah, you know, teenagers, kids, even the parents would give you their babies. Take the baby. It'd be like a hot potato, passing the baby around. Hopefully, there's some compassionate kid who'd hold the kid. But if not, just leave him on the floor in the back. (laughs) Little toddlers walking around back there. We were tough. We were tough. You know, not only were we tough, we were complacent. You know what complacency is? Complacency is a feeling of security, pleasure, or self-satisfaction while completely unaware of actual dangers. Yeah, we were complacent. It wasn't until the '80s that we started realizing some of these dangers. And to be honest, I lost my complacency in the '80s. I remember the exact date I'm not kidding when I lost my complacency. It was February 3, 1985. and I was at church. It was an evening service, and before the service started, I got a call at church. We didn't have cell phones then. It was a call at the office, and they asked me to come to the office. And it was a member of my family, and they told me about my niece, Rachel. Now, back then, I didn't have children. The closest thing I had to children were nieces and nephews, and, and I loved them like my kids. And little Rachel, she was only a year and a half. She was the youngest of my nieces. And she, was, she lived in upstate with her parents, and uh, one day, her, her mother and her aunt, they were driving, and they had little Rachel in the back seat in a car seat, and they were only a couple of miles from home, and, and Rachel was crying and and stirring and and she wanted to get out of the seat. So her mom said, we're only a couple of miles from home. Go ahead and take her out of the seat. And her aunt held her in her arms. And very soon they had a head-on collision with a tractor trailer. And little Rachel went flying head first into the dashboard ricocheted into the windshield. When they got her to the hospital, they had to revive her and they had our machines keeping her heart going and her lungs breathing. But the doctors quickly told my, my brother and his wife that she had no brain activity, that real, realistically she was dead. And they suggested that they unplug these machines. But my brother and my, and my sister-in-law, they couldn't, they couldn't find it in their hearts to unplug the machines that they, they thought were actually keeping their daughter alive. And within a few days, Rachel died. And you know, it was at that moment that I lost my complacency. You know, from then on, when we had kids, when we were driving our cars, there were many times when my kids where I wanted to get out of their car seats in the back, crying and stirring. I never, ever once considered taking them out of the seat. Not because I was going to get fined, but because I realized the danger. I realized the danger. You know, today, I think in churches today, we're spiritually complacent. We're, 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 we're completely comfortable not recognizing the dangers that we're in. You know, when you and I become Christians, when you and I get saved, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, do you know that Satan declares war on you? He does. In, in 1 Peter 5:8, it says, "Stay alert, watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." When you become a believer, Satan is looking to devour you. Yeah, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. Christian a long time, and I, I, I've seen I've seen many many casualties of war. Many. There are times when When I've seen people, their families torn apart, I've seen people fall into sin, adultery, and so on, families split, scars, wounds, even sometimes fatalities, right? Even, I've seen Christians who overdosed on drugs. I know two believers who who committed suicide, godly men who taught the Bible. One of them, I don't know a more a dynamic Christian that I've ever met than this young man, 20-something years old in college, ministering to so many people. I was so certain he was going to be a pastor or, or, or a missionary. And he committed suicide. You know why? He wasn't wearing his armor. You know, sometimes our nation, right? Our nation, sometimes we get caught because we we aren't prepared. We, we're, we're complacent. and And days like like uh, 9-11 or, or Pearl Harbor, all of a sudden we realize that someone's attacking us. And all of a sudden we send our young people off to war in, in foreign countries, in Germany and, and, and Vietnam and Afghanistan. And when they get there, they can't be complacent. There's some of you who've been in war and you've seen the effects of an enemy trying to destroy you, right? Can't be complacent. So why? This, this is our fifth week in this series Right? In this battle series. And Jesus is telling us that we're at war. You and I, we're at war. And he, and he's given us this, this armor. I want to ask you, this is our fifth series, the fifth week in this series. How many of you are wearing armor right now? How many of you have really prepared right this moment for the battle that we're in? This serious stuff, It is. And um, so... But it's hard to understand, isn't it? I've been a Christian a long time, and even I struggle with understanding the armor of God. So, you know, a few weeks back, Pastor Wes, he came to me and said, hey, I want you to preach. I was like, yeah, excited. And as always, he always tells me the text and the, and the, and the, and the, and the topic, right? And he said, I want you to preach on the armor of God. And I was like, oh, no, not the armor. I said, anything but the helmet. Don't give me the helmet, please. Don't give me the helmet. Not the helmet. He says, you got the helmet of salvation. I was like, that's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know what? I struggle with it. I went home and for, for days and days I kept reading this the verses about the helmet of God, and I struggle with it. Why do we struggle? Why do we struggle? So a couple of things today I want you to realize. Number one, I want you to realize that we're at war. Number two, I want you to realize that there's an enemy who's trying to destroy us. And 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 today. I'm going to be your, your drill instructor. I'm going to try to explain to you who our enemy is, what he's doing, and, uh, and how we should, the gear that we have, the armor that we have, that you've been given to protect yourself. So anyway, let's go. Ephesians 6, 10, 10 to 12, it says, A final word, be strong in the, in, the, in the Lord and in the mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. By the way, we're not fighting against people. Stop attacking people. We're not fighting against people. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So our war is spiritual. Verse 17 says, put on salvation as a helmet. Put on salvation as a helmet. So I have this replica helmet Replica, it's a galea, uh, the, the, the helmet that the Romans would use. This is a very cheap replica. Uh, this is like steel. The, uh, the original uh, helmets were made of either iron or bronze, sometimes a combination of both. Um, they weighed anywhere from three and a half to five pounds, so they were heavy. But even the fact that they were heavy, soldiers would wear them. Why? Because they would be protect, give protection, right? So... Um, if you've seen movies, uh, if you've seen uh, shows, The Chosen, every time we see these soldiers in those days, we see them with a, with a helmet but with a crest, right? And I almost bought a helmet with a crest, but as I looked into it, I understand that the common soldiers didn't wear a crest. On occasion, they would wear a crest if they were like in a, in a ceremony, maybe a, maybe a funeral or they were marching in a parade. But for the most part, when they were at war, they didn't wear a crest. The ones who wore the crest were actually the officers, right? The, the centurions and tribunes and generals and such. And sometimes the crest was vertical, sometimes it was horizontal. Um, many times it was red, sometimes it was other colors, uh, sometimes multicolored. Some, most of the time they were horsehair, sometimes they were plumes. And the reason they had that crest is because, it, because the leaders used the crest, right? So when you were at war, if you were a soldier and you were in the chaos of battle, you'd keep looking up above the head of the soldiers and above the head of the enemy to see where your leader was. And when your leader would move, the troops would move with the leaders. So you had to keep an eye on where that crest was because if that crest moved and you didn't pay attention, all the soldiers would move and you would find yourself alone in battle. And that's not a good place to be. So anyway, this helmet, why in the world does Paul refer to salvation as a helmet? It's pretty hard to understand. Why is salvation referred to as a helmet. You know, with all these other, with all these other um, armors that we talked about, you know, we talk about putting on the armor daily, regularly. It kind of makes sense. You know, we're not always wearing truth. We're not always wearing righteousness or peace or faith. Sometimes we find that we've taken, taken it off, and sometimes we've got to remember to put it on, right? But salvation, if I understand salvation correctly from the Bible... Once you're saved, you're always saved. Do we put salvation on and take it off? Does that mean that I could lose my salvation? I've taken off my salvation and I got to put it back on to get saved? Is that what Paul is referring to here? It's, it's kind of it's, it's hard to understand, right? Um, so, so, you know, was Paul writing to maybe unsaved people and telling them, hey, get saved. You got to get saved. Put on the helmet of salvation. Well, he wasn't. He was writing to the church of Ephesus. He was writing to a church that he had planted and and a group of believers that were very strong. As a matter of fact, they had great leadership, just like we do. Timothy was their pastor. Paul had sent Timothy, his his, uh, protege, to pastor that church. They had Apollos, one of the greatest teachers. They had Apollos teaching there. They had Priscilla and Aquila, a a married couple who were also leaders at the church and teaching. and, And it was a dynamic church. As a matter of fact, All the other churches that Paul writes to, Galatians, the the Philippians, the Corinthians, Colossians, every single other one he wrote to, he rebuked. He would tell them about problems that they had and things they had to change, about morality and paganism and heresy, divisions. But when he wrote this letter to Ephesians, if you read this, this letter to Ephesians, he doesn't rebuke them at all. He's encouraging them, telling them how great a job they're doing, and yet he warns them at the end to put on that armor. So so why is Paul referring to this helmet of salvation? Why is he telling them to put it on as if they've taken it off? Well, I tell you what, when you come across a verse that's difficult to understand, Chris Romano, he runs a a college, he's a pastor. If if you ask Chris Romano, hey, I have this difficult verse, how do I understand it? Chris is going to tell you, compare it to other verses. Take other verses in the Bible so that you could get the complete picture. You see, a lot of cases, Bible verses are like puzzle pieces. You got to put the puzzle pieces together to see the entire picture. So, so what I did, I started looking for other verses. And I found that Paul wrote to another church about this helmet of salvation. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, it says, But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation very interesting here so first thing we see is that Paul was intent, intentional he was talking it wasn't just like a you know just a, a, a quick illustration he was giving to some group he was intentional he's telling other people about this helmet of salvation but here it's interesting because he says uh, the helmet the confidence of our salvation the confidence of our salvation uh, some other translations maybe in, in the translation you read you might read the read the hope of our salvation the good thing is that when you, when you understand the biblical word hope, hope is a confident expectation. So what we see here a little bit more clearly that it's not really the helmet of your salvation. It's the helmet of the confidence you have in your salvation. The confident expectation you have in your salvation. When you're putting this helmet that sometimes we can't lose our salvation, but sometimes you might lose the confidence, the confident hope, the confident expectation in our salvation. You know, Satan, Satan cannot take away your salvation. Praise God. Satan cannot take away your salvation, but he wants to wound you. So how's he going to try to wound you? By having you question your relationship with God. Having you question whether God is your father, whether he loves you, whether you're his child, whether you have salvation. Satan is going to try to do that. One of the ways he tries to do that, he does this with me all the time, is he accuses you of sin. He says, hey, look what you're doing. How could you be a child of God and you do this? You must not be saved, right? That's what Satan does. He wants to accuse you of sin. The Bible says he's an accuser. But you know what? When you wear this helmet of salvation, you know what you know? You know that Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our representative before God. 1 John 2.1 says, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. So we should not sin, right? But... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So when Satan accuses you of sin, Jesus stands before the Father, says, yep, he's guilty. He sinned. But you know what? I paid that penalty. He's free. He doesn't have to pay the penalty of sin. So your relationship with God doesn't stand on you not sinning. And Satan's going to accuse you, but you have the helmet of salvation. So, you know, sometimes you're going through hard times, difficult times. This is common as well. And sometimes we're wondering, where's God? Illness, tragedies, and you're like, God, where are you in this? And in those moments, if you're not careful, Satan will come by and say, hey, you know what? Are you a child of God? God's abandoned you. God doesn't love you. You're not a child of God. If he was a child, he'd certainly take you through this. And it's easy. And, and that's what Satan will do. But you know what? When, you're, when you wear that helmet of salvation, you understand that you really are a child of God. Romans 8.38 says, nothing can separate me from God's love. Romans, uh, Galatians 4.5 said, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the Lord so that, we could, uh, so that he could adopt us as his own children. Yeah. See, so, you know, Satan's going to lie. That's what he does. And you know lies... They're looking for a place to reside. Lies lies are always looking for a place to reside. When you're not wearing your helmet, those lies penetrate. And they seek for a place to reside in your mind. And you begin to question your relationship with God. You know what? When you're wearing that helmet, those lies bounce off. They ricochet. They cannot penetrate. That's why we need to wear the helmet of salvation. So... You know, I came across another verse as I was looking for other verses. I've been a Christian a long time. I don't think, I don't remember ever reading this verse. I've read through the Bible many times. I'm sure I've read it, but it never really captured me. I never thought about it until I was studying this, and, and and it was quite impactful for me. You see, I found out, I always thought that Paul was the originator of this idea of this helmet of salvation. But in actuality, this helmet of salvation was referred to thousands of years before Paul was ever born. As a matter of fact, it's Isaiah. So so Paul actually is stealing this idea of the helmet of salvation from Isaiah. He's kind of sampling Isaiah's lyrics, if you will. I guess he's kind of like Pitbull, right? He's sampling Isaiah. This is a remix. This is some some gangster rap stuff, right? Some, Some East Coast, West Coast, right? Some Old Testament, New Testament, yeah. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but anyway... The truth is that this, thought, this was written thousands of years before. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says, He put on the righteousness as his body armor and placed a helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. Do you know who Isaiah is talking about here? He's talking about the Messiah the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah was referring to Jesus Christ as wearing the helmet of salvation. I love Pastor West always reminds us, if Jesus did it, you should do it, right? Pastors always like, Jesus prayed, you should pray. Jesus got baptized, you should get baptized. You know what? If Jesus wore the helmet, we better wear the helmet, right? So this is what blows my mind. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't grasp it. How could Jesus wear the helmet of salvation? He is salvation. He is salvation. How could he wear the helmet of salvation? Jesus is salvation. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John 10, 9 says, I am the gate, and those who come through me will be saved. Jesus is salvation. How could he wear the salvation? Well, the truth is that Jesus is eternal. He's creator of all things. God the Son in the Trinity, he's in heaven, and what does he decide to do? He decides to come to earth, and when he comes, he puts on human form. He becomes a a man just like us, and he took on this human form, and and he was tempted just like we were tempted. In Philippians 2.7, it says, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, he faced all the same testings that we do, Yet he did not sin. So, why was Jesus wearing the helmet of salvation? Because just like you and me, he was tested, he was tempted. And just like you and me, Satan, when Satan wants us to question our relationship with God, whether God is our father, whether we're his child, whether we have salvation, Satan actually tried to convince Jesus that he did not have the proper relationship with his father. And if you remember, Jesus is in the wilderness, and Satan says to him in Matthew 4, 3, it says, During the time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. In verse 5 he says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, on the highest point of the temple, and he said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. The angels will come to save you. See what Satan is doing here? He's questioning Jesus' relationship with the Father. If you are the Son of God. The good thing is Jesus was wearing the helmet. He didn't fall for that. Like we're like, yeah, I'll show you. Jesus didn't have to prove to anybody who he was because he knew who he was. Because he wore the helmet of salvation. And because he knew his relationship was assured with his Father. And he never had to question it. And that's the same for you and me. Are you wearing the helmet of salvation? So three things really quick. Three things. Number one, you can't wear the helmet if you don't have it. You can't wear it if you don't have it. You know, the thing is, while when we're saved, Satan wants us to question our salvation. You know, there are some who are unsaved. And you know what Satan wants you to do? He wants you to think you are saved because he doesn't want you to get saved. And I've spoken to people and I've told them about the gospel and they're like, I'm good. I'm good. I don't have to worry about that because I do good things. I never hurt anybody. I'm a good person. Some people say, hey, you know what? I'm good. I go to church. I'm on dream team. I'm good. I'm good. I said a prayer. I said a prayer. I'm good. And you know what? They're putting their trust in what they did. And you know what? You can't wear this helmet if you put their trust in what you did. You know what? If you trust what you did, Jesus died in vain. Why did he die? If you could do it, you and I can't do it. The only way to do it. Is through, the, through what Jesus did for you and having that faith in that relationship. You know, there's a really scary verse in the Bible. This is serious stuff, really scary verse. And it says in Matthew 7, 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and in your name performed many miracles. You know, I haven't, I can't, I haven't cast out demons. I haven't performed miracles. But these people could come before God and say all they did for Jesus. And what does Jesus say? But my, I will reply, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. How sad, how sad if someone is coming before God and saying, look at all these things I did for you. And God says, great, you did those things, but I don't know you. Man, you, own, you, got, you, gotta, you, you can't wear it if you don't have it. You got to have salvation to wear the helmet. Number, number two is you can't share it if you don't wear it. You can't share it if you don't wear it. You know what First Peter 3, 5, 15 says? If someone asks you your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You can't share it if you don't wear. You know when I was a young Christian, I didn't know where the verses were. I didn't know how to tell you know what I did? I found out what the Bible verses on salvation. I highlighted them in my Bible. And I put little markers in my Bible. Why? Because when someone came and asked me, I wanted to be prepared. I could pull out my Bible I say, wait. And I go right to the markers. And, and after some time, I didn't need the markers anymore. I knew where they were. And after some time, I didn't need the, to have the Bible in my pocket. I knew the verses. And verses like 1 John 5, 12, and 13. Or, 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 or Romans 3, 23. Romans 6, 23. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. John 1:12. These are verses that are just in my brain and I'm always ready to share them let me ask you a question how are you going to share the word of God if you don't know what the word of God says about salvation if you've been a Christian a while I know if you're, if you're just a believer just a young believer all you can say hey all I know is I was blind and now I can see but you know after you grow a little while you better know what the Bible says because if you don't know what the Bible says you cannot wear this helmet you got to know what the Bible says and you got to understand what salvation is and then my last thing, when the battle, when in battle, look for the crest on the leader's helmet. Yeah. When, when the battle gets tough and, you're, and, and, and it's really chaos, you look up for, that, for, for the crest on Jesus' helmet. You know, in, in, in Revelations, it says that in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus will come with many crowns. He'll actually have a crest of crowns. So, you know, here's the thing. Some of you are are in battles. You're trying to wear your armor. You're in a battle, but you're in the wrong battle. You got to keep your eye on Jesus. And when Jesus moves, you move. And sometimes Jesus is, he wants to take you away from this battle you're in. You have no business being in this battle. You have no business being in this community you're in. You have no business of being with these people or in this relationship or or doing this thing you're doing. And and you know that you're struggling, you're fighting to fight this battle. But Jesus' battle is over there. Man, you can't see Jesus' Christ here. And you're questioning what's going on. You're in the wrong battle. Man, you got to, when God calls you away from that battle and calls you to this battle, you go. You know why? Because where Jesus is, there's victory. You cannot lose the battle where Jesus is. You got to follow Jesus wherever he calls you. Hey, listen, I've been struggling, struggling, struggling for weeks for this very moment because I want people to be saved. I imagine there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus. Man, I've been like, hey, uh, let's do that. I'll have an invitation. No, let's. The people won't come. Let's raise hands. Let's, let's pray. What? I've been thinking all kinds of ways to do it and to be honest, I, I'm completely perplexed. All I know, all I know is that I can't give you salvation. No matter what technique I use, it won't bring you salvation. You know what? If you need Jesus, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now because that's what he does. The Holy Spirit calls you. I can't save anyone, but is the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. You know, there may be someone here who says, man, I've been around here a long time. I've been coming to church, but I'm really not sure about this salvation thing. I, I may have said a prayer. I don't remember. And maybe you just doubt. You know what? If you doubt, today is your day to just settle it. Hey, I'm not sure, but today I'm going to be sure. I'm going to commit my life. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. Some of you, you know Jesus has been calling you, and you've been, you've been hesitant. And you're like, "What? Well, today is the day. So I'm just going to ask everyone to pray, to to bow down your head and and we'll pray. And you know what? If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want you to respond in whatever way the Holy Spirit's calling you. If the Holy Spirit's calling you to come forward, that you need to speak to someone, come forward. There's people here who share with you. If the Holy Spirit is telling you just raise your hands and pray this prayer, you go ahead and do it. But if you need Jesus right now, tell him, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned, and and the Bible says sin separates me from God. So I ask you forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me. And and by faith, I believe, Lord, as best I can, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from my sins. And that, Jesus, you paid the penalty for my sins. And, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to save me. I want to surrender to you. I want you to lead me. I want you to direct me, Lord. I want to follow you with all my heart the Bible says, he that has the son has life. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. By faith I'm trusting and I'm receiving this free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. So, hey, if you prayed that prayer, don't leave this place without sharing it with somebody. Come see Wes, uh, Chris, Tara Romano, myself, someone. Go see someone and let them know, hey, trust in Jesus, alright? Thank you God
0: bless you, love you guys Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Hope Church, please feel free to visit us at HopeWinterGarden.com or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Winter Garden. We hope you have a blessed day.